God's chosen people, Israel, didn't cruise along into the promised land. Far from it. In fact, by the time they actually set foot in the land flowing with milk and honey, they had lost an entire generation of unbelieving Jews. As they paced the wilderness for 40 years, there would have been somebody that have died and somebody from that family would have buried that someone. And this went on for 40 years. It would be a good day if someone didn't die in that 40 years. Perhaps if somebody would have retraced their steps, uh, that one would have found dead bodies dotted along the way uh, in the wilderness. All because of unbelief. Unbelief to the God who loved them and taken them out in the slavery of Egypt. But you see that unbelief did not happen, did not just happen during the wilderness wanderings. It, went, it started way before that. In fact, just days after they were taken out of Egypt, those complaining, those murmuring, those unbelief stayed with them until they were about to cross the River Jordan. Folks, they can see the land right before their eyes. All they had to do at the time was cross the River Jordan. If you've been to Israel, uh, this is not, uh, you can actually see the other side. Uh, if you can Picture in your mind the Sea of Galilee when you were there. You can see the other side, but faintly, the River Jordan is quite clear. Of course, within uh, the, the, the look of the River Jordan back then is not the same as you see it. All they had to do was cross the river. Swollen river, mind you, but hey, the God has parted the Red Sea. What's the... Uh, What's the river Jordan one? And you say, Pastor, come on. You make it sound like <laughs> that it was that easy. Uh, if you were there, you would have probably been the same. Oh, yes. Most probably I would be. But why? Why were they hesitant to possess the land already promised to them? You see, they sent 12 men to spy out the land. And those 12 men uh, came back. Uh, they told the folks that there were giants in the land. And they be like grasshoppers compared unto them. Now, of course, the spies weren't lying, beloved. Uh, numbers uh, 23 tells us, uh, Numbers 13 and Deuteronomy 2 tells us that. There were indeed giants in the land of Canaan at that time, the sons of Anak, living in Canaan at that time. So it is true, there were giants in the land of Canaan. But turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9, please. This is not our text for the night, but uh, we'll um, need this to... Uh, take us to where I want us to be. Deuteronomy chapter 9, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, here in, in verse 1. 
Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day, to go into possess nations greater and mightier than thyself. Cities great and fenced up to heaven. That's a, a hyperbole, of course. A people great and tall, and the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest, and of whom thou hast heard say, Who can stand before the children of Anak? Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them. And he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord hath said unto thee. Giants. It is true from the spies' point of view that they were indeed just like grasshoppers standing before these giants. But before God, the sons of Anak were like grasshoppers. Perspective. It's very important in life. We now know, of course, that God's people, Israel, eventually made it to the promised land. But just like I said, they did not cruise to it. Truth be told, a journey that should have taken days, days, ended up taking them years. And not because God was being cruel uh, to them, no, but because they were but a stiff-necked and disobedient lot. Did you know that we too have our own giants that we contended in this our time? They're not the Anakims. Nevertheless, they are giants we face each day. So who and what are these giants? Well, they're called the giants of fear. The giant of worry. The giant of bitterness. The giant of anger. And you fill in the blanks for you. Tonight we're going to start a new series which I have entitled Facing Our Giants. It is a spin-off from that Christian movie. And Joss loves that movie I'm sure because of Great Iron where this football team faced another team that were much bigger than them, much powerful than them, but in the end, they overcame them, they won over them, they conquered their fears, and they became victorious in the end. That's my desire for us in this series, to gain victory over the giants of our time. Tonight, the first giant that I propose that we face is the giant of disappointment. The giant of disappointment. Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Once you find your spot, would you stand with me, please? If you're able, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Beginning here in just, we'll just read verses 1 to 3 and we'll go through as, as we go along. 
Second Samuel chapter 7, the inspired word of God says, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan, <coughs> the prophet, See, now I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Dear God, I pray that uh, you'd sustain me over the next few minutes. <clears throat> uh, Lord, I pray that as I attempt to do justice and preach your word, oh, once again I ask, once again I ask that you would uh, provide power from on high. Father, meet with us this evening. Indeed, Father, I look across this room and imagine those that uh, were here this morning and are not here tonight. All of us would have contended with a giant of disappointment at one time or another in our lives. Perhaps there's one or two here tonight that is battling over this giant in their life. Oh, dear God, I pray that they may be comforted and encouraged of the message that we will hear this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your revelations, for your teaching through the Holy Spirit, through the many resources even that uh, is now available to us to understand your word. But at the very end of it, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us your truth. And Lord, that we be encouraged as we go out from this place tonight, hearing from you, and in some small way, Lord, we bring glory to your name through the preaching of your word. Thank you that we have this privilege to stand before this pulpit to declare your word. And you are God. We thank you for this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Facing our giants and the giant of disappointment. Since she was a little girl, all Elise wanted to be was to be a bride. She's fascinated by it, dreamt of it, walked down on a makeshift aisle. Finally, she met a man that she was going to spend her life with. The rings were chosen, the wedding dress made, the day was set. The guests were invited, but Danny was killed in action at Afghanistan. Elsie and her dream of becoming a bride was dashed into pieces. Jim and Martha were so madly in love. They made plans of having a large family. They scrimped and saved to buy a house with a big backyard. They renovated one of the rooms to make way for Jimmy Jr. Everything was looking bright and cheery. Excitement was building up in the house. Grandy and Grammy were just as excited until, until Martha was rushed to the hospital and lost the baby. How about this? Quote, my home church where I was saved was seeking a pastor. 
because their pastor had moved. A key leader in the church had informed me that I was to be the next pastor of the church. The church is a great church with a great legacy. I was very excited about the possibility. When the pastor resigned, I expected a call from the search team. That call never came. End of quote. Disappointments. It happens every day. It doesn't discriminate from the least to the most faithful of saints. At some point in time in a believer's life, God has said no. No to his or her plan. No to their dreams and aspirations. And every one of us in this room tonight had to deal and face up to broken dreams and aspirations at one time or another. There may have been someone that you thought you would spend the rest of your life with. A child or children, and yes, even a vocation, a call of surrender to God's work, and yet in all of that, God said, no. Living and facing through disappointment or disappointments for many, if not all believers, is never easy. For some, it is enough to derail and discourage them for the rest of their lives. Even some, it makes them bitter against God and leave the church or the faith. But praise God, we see in His Word that there were people who rose above their disappointments, who trusted God of their broken hearts and dreams. David was such a man. He had big dreams. Not for himself, mind you, but for God. He desired <clears throat> and attempted to do great things for God. Yet God said, no. This was a time of rest for David. Enjoying the peace and blessings of God and he came to a, a realization of doing something for God who did absolutely everything for him. He realized that he was living in the comforts and the grandeur of his palace and yet the ark of the God of heaven and earth dwelleth within or inside the curtains, that means within the tabernacle tent. His desire never remained just a desire. He wanted to do something with that desire. And he approached the one that he knows is a representative of God here on earth at that time in the prophet Nathan. In verse 3, look at it. The prophet approved. And said to the king, go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Now understand, beloved, there was no record. 
that Nathan ever inquired about this before the Lord. And yet he advised David, go and do it. And there's a lesson here for us, amen. Be careful. Be careful of the advices that you are giving and you getting from men. And yes, even from prophets, from pastors like me, be careful. Make sure that those advices that we are giving and or getting are actually bathed in prayer before the Lord. Men, if you are in a position to be giving advices, do it responsibly. If you don't know the answer, if you're not sure of what advice that would be, if you are put on the spot and in question by someone, if you don't know the answer, I say, I don't know. But I'll come back to you. I'll study about it. I'll pray about it. You know, I'm not against internet. I use it. It makes my preparations a lot quicker. But there's no accountability in the internet, yeah? The advices that you're getting from the internet are from people. Now, I'm not discounting them. I'm not dismissing them. But there's no accountability. Sometimes the context is not right. Sometimes the advice uh, that is being given uh, is not really uh, uh, suitable or perhaps uh, not sound a base in the Word of God. So be careful. Be careful of the advices that you're giving and getting from men. Yes, including me. And so David wanted to build the temple of God and for God. And the prophet advised, yes, go do it. But God said, no. And so how did David handle this disappointment? And how should we handle when God says, no? Let's see first the person that was David. He was passionate. Passionate about God. Again, it was a time of blessing for him. A time of rest from all his enemies. But you see, blessing and resting did not detract him from his passion for God. Now, what's the point in that statement, Pastor? You see, I am concerned sometimes, many believers, when they enjoy times of blessings, when they enjoy times of peace, they enjoy the blessings, but forget the source of the blessings and the peace that only can come from God. He loved the Lord, and His love for God He expressed lavishly. One must just read the many psalms he wrote that even now, thousands of years later, encourage us to develop the same passion and worship of the Lord, David. We haven't read it yet, but notice verse 18 out of 2 Samuel uh, verse, uh, chapter 7. Uh, then went King David in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hither to? I'll expand on that a little bit later. 
You see, whatever rest, whatever prosperity, whatever blessings David enjoyed, he ascribed it not to himself, but to God's hand on his life. Oh, my dear ones, how's our passion? How's our heart for the Lord tonight? Are we all in like David was? Is it any wonder that God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Acts 13, verse 22. Notice, secondly, David's perspective. Godly perspective, that is. You see, at the time, there was no complete canon of the Scripture as we have tonight. David cannot search the Scriptures just like the Bereans did and determine whether things were so. And so he did the next best thing. He sought the man of God in the prophet Nathan. Sure, Nathan got it wrong, as I said in the beginning, but let us not fail to see that David sought godly counsel. What's the point? I submit to you this evening that while David was passionate about the things of and for God, his passion was accompanied with godly perspective. Many, if not all of us, have some passion of one sort or another. But ultimately, those passions and the object of those passions must be the Lord. You see, David was the king. He could not have just, uh, he, he could have just implemented what his passion was. He need no permission. Uh, he could have gone ahead and built the temple without seeking Nathan's counsel. As a king, he can just do whatever he wants, frankly speaking, but he didn't. And many times I wonder why we go through disappointments in life. Not necessarily, perhaps, because God says no. But because we don't consult Him. Really, we just want to inform Him, FYI, Lord, of what we already decided to do ourselves. Again, not David. Sure, Nathan the prophet got it wrong. He should not have said what he said, especially if he hasn't taken the matter to the Lord. But it is my belief that David did the right thing here. David was passionate. He had and practiced godly perspective. Notice thirdly his project in mind. His project in mind. It was a huge project. He dreamed big and wanted to do big things for God. No doubt as David looked around his palace lined with expensive cedar. That's how they describe the the grandeur of a palace when it's lined with cedar uh, from Lebanon. Uh, He he was dreaming and desiring to build an even bigger, uh, an even grander palace or temple for the Lord. I believe he knew what was involved in such a huge undertaking. And it did not deter him from his desire. 
He knew it was going to be a huge project. And he's all in. And wanting to accomplish it. As a conquering king, no doubt his treasury would have been full of the spoils of war. And he was willing to pour it all out to invest it all for the Lord. Now I know the Lord said no to his desire. And we don't see it in our text tonight. But turn with me please to Second Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles, just a, a few pages. Second Chronicles chapter 6. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 6, here in verse 8. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 8. Are you there yet? But the Lord said to David, My father, for as much as it was in thine heart to build an house for my name, Thou didst well in that it was in thine heart. It's in thine heart. The Lord may not have allowed him to build the temple, but the Lord recognized and commended his heart's desire. Wouldn't it be great if more of us were concerned, were passionate with the things of the Lord rather than the things of the world. Oh, my dear ones, we have been blessed so much by the Lord. And oh, how I pray that with the blessings He bestows upon us, we could also be passionate about Him and His projects for His people. What we have learned and seen thus far is David's resolve. He's resolved to build the temple. And over the next few minutes, let us now learn about God's response. Somebody said, man proposes, God disposes. Man proposes, God disposes. And God simply said no to David's proposal. Now that seems odd, isn't it? That seems out of God's character. Here was his servant, genuinely, I believe, passionately wanting to worship the Lord, and not just him, but many generations after him through the building of the temple. That's his desire. That's his vision. A good cause. A noble cause. A really godly cause. Yet God said, no. Now, if we just look at some scriptures, perhaps we can get a bit of an understanding why God said no. Look with me in verse 5. God here speaking to, um, to Nathan the prophet, verse 5, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. God simply stated that he has never dwelt in a house or a fixed dwelling place. Not then and not until that day, he told Nathan, not in the days of Moses and up until David's day. There was simply no other time that God did that. In other words, God was satisfied with the current arrangement. That's how he wanted it. 
Secondly, notice verse 7. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I have commanded to feed my, Israel, my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? I know it's, it's King's English, and sometimes we just have to read it over and over again. But that simply says, God never told or instructed anyone, not one of the tribes, to build him a house. As good an initiative as it was, it was David's plan or proposal, not God's. He hasn't asked for it. Thirdly, turn to 1 Chronicles 22, verse 8. 1 Chronicles <clears throat> Here in uh, verse 8, chapter 22. <clears throat> but the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth and in my sight. And just a few pages to now chapter 28, same book. Same historical book, chapter 28, First Chronicles, here in verse 3. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name, how? because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. Obviously, this was a standard that God has already predetermined. Nothing personal to David. Whoever will build his temple at a time that God wanted it built, with the man of his choosing will be a man that has not shed blood, but not, not a man of war, but a man of peace. Now that's God's sovereign prerogative. That's his choice. That's how he wanted it built. As to who will build it is not a man of war, but a man of rest, which Solomon was. His name alone means peaceful. Solomon, in Hebrew, is peaceful. David and Nathan were not aware of this, as there is no need for them to know until David thought of building the temple of God. And therefore, God needed to make them both aware at the time. Now, just a side lesson here, folks. We must be careful that our ponderings and our desires, while they were for good intentions and purposes, and indeed may well be for the cause of Christ and the gospel, but while these initiatives are good and excellent within themselves, nothing wrong with them, we must understand that's, that's all they are. Our ponderings, our proposals, and until God actually gives a go-ahead on those, they will not be sanctioned by His power and blessings. Is it any wonder that Christian endeavors fail because we went ahead without God's blessing on it? I say it again. There's a right way 
of doing things for God. Just because you and I want to do it this way doesn't mean that God approves of it and that He will bless it. And then fourthly, perhaps this could have been another reason why God said no to David. Back up now and turn to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5. <clears throat> Here in verse uh, 3. 1 <clears throat> Kings chapter 5. Thou knowest how that David my father could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. In other words, it wasn't simply the right time. It wasn't the time yet to build the temple for the land is not yet fully at peace and rest. But hang on, Pastor Manny. We just read it from our text, 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's a time of rest for David. But you see, beloved, David indeed was recorded to be at rest at 2 Samuel 7, but that wasn't permanent. Because if you go and study this for yourself, after 2 Samuel 7 uh, and, and the ongoing chapters after that, David and his kingdom continued to battle. He continued to war against, uh, in this case, Syria, I believe, and it went on for a while. It wasn't perfect peace and rest yet at the time of David. Now, all of these reasons make sense. Understand, however, we have the benefit of reading the account from the full canon of Scripture. David was living it at the time. We are reading it. He was living it. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And so, while it makes sense to us now, it didn't at David's time. Truly, there was nothing wrong with David's idea and plan. I believe his motives were pure. And I already told you, God commended his heart, and God was therefore pleased uh, with him and his heart for God. However, God just had other plans. And in this case, the temple wasn't for David to build. It was for his son. And so, beloved, I know I have labored much to get to this point. But has God said no to you? No to your plans? No to your dreams and aspirations? Has he closed the door of opportunity? Perhaps you didn't get that promotion or purchase of that house you wanted or the job that you so prayed hard for. Whatever it was, beloved, 
Be assured that God loves you and He wants the best for you. And if you will but trust Him, He has a better plan. Plan that perhaps you have never even remotely thought of or dream about. This was true of David. And it is true of us. Why do I say this? Back in our text in 2 Samuel 7. Notice verse 12 and 13. And when the days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers... I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, David's dream will come true after all. His huge project, his big dreams, his big aspiration wasn't really canceled, but will be carried out by his son. You see, David's plan was to build a house for God. But God's plan is to build a house for David forever. God wanted to build a spiritual house for David for generations to come. A posterity that would continuously reign on his throne. Look at verse 8. And notice how God comforted David, even if he said no to him. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. God said, David, I took you out from a lowly shepherd leading a flock, and I made you a ruler over my people Israel. Stay with me. This will make sense shortly. Verse 9. I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. I was with you, David. Whatever you went and have cut off, that means destroyed, defeated, all your enemies, and I made your name great. Like any other great men that have lived this earth. Wow. Wow. And wow. And God did not stop there, beloved. Verse 10, notice the five promises God made unto David and Israel as a nation. A promise of residence. I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them that they may what? Dwell in a place of their own and move no more. A promise of permanent residence. A promise of security still here in verse 10. Uh, The last part there. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. A promise of posterity. Verse 11 uh, and and 12. uh, 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 And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. 
And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Number four, a promise of authority here in verse 13. He shall build an house for my name, and watch it, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then a promise of perpetuity. A promise of continuity. In verse 16. And thine house and thine kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. How long is forever? Forever. It's not a trick question. This, of course, is what we now know as the Davidic covenant. Prophetically, it is God's plan for Israel. Somebody said, our disappointments are really his appointments. He just changed the letter D to a letter H. So how did David react to God's no? I alluded to this earlier, verse 18. Here it is. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? David, instead of becoming bitter against God, he understood that God had something better for him. Not only that, Scripture tells us that David did all that he could do to procure and prepare all that was going to be needed to build the temple. Yeah. David said, I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God. First Chronicles 29, uh, 22, 2 Samuel 24. And you can read all about that in your own time. David accepted God's will for him. Again, somebody said, fight the will of God and it will break you. Accept the will of God and it will make you. Fight the will of God and it will break you. Accept the will of God and it will make you. And here's another one of those sayings. Quote, disappointments are not only opportunities for maturity, but they are also opportunities for ministry. Oh, beloved, these little quaint sayings are so personal to me, and I had to write it down and share it to you. In closing, let me share with you a family in Scotland by the name of Clark, who had a dream to emigrate to the United States of America to start a new life for their family. Together as a family, they struggled, they scrimped and saved to make their dream come true. Finally, they managed to accumulate enough money and obtain all the paperwork they needed to take the trip. The reservations uh, were done 
And the family was full of excitement. But then, seven days before they were to leave Scotland, the youngest of the children was bitten by a dog. The bite wasn't serious, but the doctor placed a yellow sign on Clark's uh, front door. You see, during those days, the yellow sign warned everybody to stay away, for there was a possibility that the boy had contracted rabies from the bite of the unknown dog. Their ship was to sail in one week, but the family was to be quarantined for two. Needless to say, they were not able to go, and all that they have dreamed of went with the waves of the sea. The father, outraged at God with what he felt was unjust and unfair, went down to the pier to stare as the ship set out. Furious at God, frustrated with his son, he cried and cursed and went home in the foulest of mood imaginable. Sounds familiar? A few days after the ship had left port, he got word that on the 15th of April, 1912, the very ship which was to bring them to a new life in the United States had sunk into the ocean floor. The Titanic had gone down. Hearing that news, Mr. Clark's attitude was instantly transformed. Excitedly, he hugged his son. Prayerfully, he confessed and thanked his God. Their lives had been spared. Their tragedy had been turned into triumph. Has God said no to you? Have you been bitter? On him because of it. Perhaps and because of your anger and bitterness you failed. And are failing to see that what you consider disappointments. Are actually his appointments. Perhaps you are fighting God's will for your life. And therefore it's breaking you. It's hurting you. And the people around you. Isn't it time to lay down your arms beloved? Instead of clenching your fist on him. Why don't you humble yourself in obedience to him. And his ways. And his will. Just like David. He loves you. He wants the best for you. You see, his ways are past finding out, the Bible says. He doesn't make mistakes, you know. One thing is for certain. He doeth all things well. Always. I'm standing before you tonight to testify of that in my own life. Fight his will and it will break you. Accept his will. It will make you. Your disappointments and mine are really his appointments 
for a better plan. Will you trust him in your disappointments? I hope so. I pray so. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Oh, dear God, many times in our lives we have faced many disappointments. And oh, how in those times we grieved. And admittedly, there were times in those sorrowful moments that we have been bitter. Perhaps really not about you or to you, but to others that we thought were instrumental for those disappointments. Oh God, as we have seen tonight, here was a man, David, who passionately wanted to do a great thing for you. And yet you said no. Oh, but we see in his life how he handled that disappointment. May we follow his example. Help us not to be bitter, but understanding of a better plan that you have for us. No doubt disappointments will come and go. We see it all around us. We see it even in our own loved ones. But as we do, Help us to understand that they're there for a reason. And from when you say no, it doesn't mean that you don't love us. It just means that you have a better plan for us. Oh God, help us to accept these truths as hard as it is. May we look to you, even in our worst of disappointments, and to trust you that you are our God, and we are your people. And you want the best for us. We ask it all in the name of Jesus.